Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you would uh, please turn in your Bible uh, to Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, the book of Zechariah is uh, one of the last books in the Old Testament. You should find it right before uh, the book of Malachi. So if you go to Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and then two books back, Zechariah chapter 4. And while you're turning there, uh, I just want to say I, I feel great joy, and uh, it is such a privilege to be back with you uh, all again uh, physically here. Uh, I want to thank you all for your kind words and condolences and especially your prayers uh, as I went to India to uh, support my family and be with my father uh, in the last days of his life. Uh, I, I want to also thank Pastor Kurt and the staff team and the elders for uh, taking the load and, and giving me the grace and, and the time uh, to support my family uh, in, in this dark hour for us. Uh, so thank you, uh, and please do continue to keep us in your prayers. Uh, let's uh, pray one more time before looking at God's Word together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts by the work of your Spirit to show us your glorious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the Scriptures this morning. In his name we pray, amen. The people of God have been through a massive crisis. They were unable to go to their place of worship for an extended period of time. And when they finally do return, things are not like they used to be. Only a few could come at a time. Things are just not the same anymore. And when they come back, they find that they are facing a financial crunch there were challenges and uncertainty about their leadership. And all of this results in them feeling bogged down and having a lack of hope. Does this sound familiar? You might think that I'm talking about churches after COVID-19 in the year 2020 or now in 2021. But I'm actually not. I'm talking about the people of Israel when they returned to the land after their captivity and exile in Babylon. That's the context in which the prophet Zechariah received his vision of a lampstand in our passage today, Zechariah chapter 4. And brothers and sisters, even as the selection committee and the elders of ECC have named me as the candidate to be your next senior pastor, I'm filled with joy, but I'm also filled with fear and trembling. As I think about the times that we are in, as I consider the challenges that we face, the situation that we find ourselves in, as I think about the road ahead, it is indeed daunting. Uh, but this vision of Zechariah's lampstand gives me hope. Hope for the building of God's church, confidence in the advance of God's kingdom, no matter what, and this hope and confidence is what I want to share with you today. We're not starting a series of, on Zechariah today. Lord willing, we'll do that uh, next month. But I'll be preaching a series of uh, three sermons uh, so I can, from God's word, help you and, and myself to understand uh, what to expect in this next season if you call me to be senior pastor. So with that, let's look together at Zechariah 4, verses 1 to 3. Zechariah says, the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is wakened out of his sleep. 
And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. So you hear that and you're thinking, oh, what is this? <laughs> it's lampstand, Zechariah, what does that even mean? Well, brothers and sisters, whenever we are in the Old Testament, and especially when we're in Old Testament passages that we feel unfamiliar with, it's always helpful to know the context and, and the broader story. Right? Where are we in the story of God's plan? What is the context in which Zechariah receives this vision? So less than 100 years ago, before this vision, less than a century earlier, the people of Israel had experienced a catastrophe of unimaginable proportions. Their city was completely destroyed. Their temple was burned to the ground, the, their place of worship. And then they were all carried off as captives into a foreign land, into Babylon. All of this because of their sin. But after 70 years in Babylon, in exile, after 70 years of facing God's judgment, now they have come back. God has brought the people back from Babylon, back to their homeland, to rebuild and to replant. And they even have a commission from the pagan king to rebuild their temple. That sounds very hopeful. But unfortunately, when they return, they soon find themselves completely bogged down by discouragement. They had a lack of resources, a lack of money. They were all facing poverty, several other setbacks and opposition that brought their work to a standstill. Their rebuilding project was closed. And they're embroiled in controversy, hindered by their own sin. They're a complete mess. It's taken 70 years and God has brought the people out of Babylon. But as one teacher said, when is he going to take Babylon out of the people? All hope seems lost. And then all of a sudden, one night, the prophet Zechariah sees this lampstand. And this is no ordinary lampstand. Friends, this was the lampstand that stood at the heart of the temple, right in the center of the temple in Jerusalem, where God would meet with his people. This lampstand represents the temple. More than that, this lampstand also represents God's presence with his people, the light of God's presence. And the lampstand is supernatural and magnificent in Zechariah's vision. Imagine in the dark of night seeing this golden shining object. And it's uh, kept ablaze by two olive trees. There are two olive trees on either side pouring oil into the lampstand so that it, its lamps stay continually lit without human intervention. There's no need for a human being to go in and change the oil. The lampstand is perpetually ablaze. And he tells us there are seven lips on each of the seven lamps. So that means there's 49 lights on this lampstand. It's a million watt blazing lampstand that Zachariah sees. So you hear all that and you think, okay, very well. It's a beautiful lampstand. So, so what? What, what, is, what does Zachariah's lampstand have to do with our lives? What does this mean for us at ECC in 2021? Well, brothers and sisters, just like the people of Israel were on a mission to build a temple, we too are on a temple-building mission. 
Except our temple is not made of bricks and stones. Our temple is made of people. People from every tribe and tongue and nation that Jesus Christ is calling to himself. We saw that in our opening text this morning in Ephesians 2. God is building us up as a temple, as a dwelling place for himself. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, which our brother Pius read, where it says that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. A spiritual house is a temple, a dwelling place for God. So we, just like they, are on a temple building mission. And just like the people of Israel in their mission faced discouragements, setbacks, and things that opposed them, we too face discouragements and setbacks. Think about the past year and all of the trials that we faced. God called our senior pastor, beloved senior pastor Jeremy, uh, to, uh, back to his home country in the United States. We were hit with this pandemic that has raged on and on now. It's almost a year. We weren't able to meet for an extended period of time. Even when we come back, you know, it's all this subnormal. This is anything but normal, you know, preaching to you with this glass thing in the front and, and all of you in masks singing. This isn't normal. So many of us have faced personal crises. So many of our members have faced financial struggles, have lost jobs. Some of them have to go back overnight. So many of you have lost personal loved ones, all in the midst of a very dark and trying year. And just like God's people then were longing for God in their time of discouragement, we too long for God to act. The text says in, in, in verse 10, it says, you know, they despise the day of small things. It feels for us, today feels like a day of small things. And just like God intervened then and gave his people hope through his promises, through giving them a vision of the completed work, brothers and sisters, we too can receive hope from God's word today in building his temple. Because you see, ultimately this text is not just about a lampstand and a temple 2,500 years ago. No, this text is about us. We who are God's temple in Christ. Christ is the true temple of God and in him we are God's temple. So ECC, this morning, this vision tells us that we can engage in the mission of the church with hope and with confidence. We can engage in God's temple building work. And I want to show us three reasons from Zechariah 4 that we should have hope and confidence in the building of God's temple in Christ. Right? Three reasons for our hope. First, we engage in God's temple building mission with hope and confidence by relying on the sovereign spirit of God. You must rely on the sovereign spirit of God. Look at verses 4 to 7. And I said to the angel who talked with me, Zechariah says, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel... You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. 
So in verses 1 to 3, we got the description of Zechariah's vision. We are told what Zechariah saw. And then here in verse 4, Zechariah, just like you and me, is feeling perplexed. So he asks the angel, okay, what is all this? What are these, my Lord? The angel says, you're the prophet. Don't you know? Don't you know what these are? And then the angel responds and we get this word of the Lord, which is the interpretation of the vision. Now, understanding the Old Testament at times can be quite difficult, especially when we read through the prophets, especially a prophet like Zechariah, because normally we're trained to think of things in a linear sequence. So A, then B, then C, everything goes in order. But Hebrew literature, and especially the Hebrew prophets, communicate somewhat different. They communicate in cycles. They say the same thing again and again in different ways. I like to think of it, as one teacher says, like Dolby surround sound. You know, so I don't know if you go to the movies. I know many have not gone for a long time, but maybe you've been to the movies and you've seen a movie with surround sound. You know, you're sitting in the theater and before the movie starts, they start testing the sound. So the left speaker turns on, right? And you hear sound from this side. Then all of a sudden, the right speaker turns on. Then you hear the same sound, but in a different uh, feel from this side. And then finally, the top speakers turn on and then you're getting this full effect from all sides of surround sound. That's how the Hebrew prophets speak. So here the first speaker gets turned on and the angel begins to give Zechariah and us the interpretation of the lampstand. And he says in verse 6, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel is this. So who's Zerubbabel? Well, if you read the book of Ezra, especially chapters 3 to 5, that gives you the historical context. And you'll see that Zerubbabel was the governor over Israel at this time. There were challenges uh, and conflicts, you know, challenges against his leadership but he was the one who was rightfully in charge of this temple rebuilding project. And here in verses 6 to 7, God is giving a message concerning Zerubbabel and to Zerubbabel. This is what the Lord says about how his temple will be built, how his mission will be accomplished. Look at verse 6. Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Friends, God's temple is built through the power of God's Spirit. Not by power, nor by might. Not by wealth, nor by human wisdom. Not by money, nor by manpower. Not by giftedness, nor by gimmicks. Not by the latest, greatest strategy or fad or method to grow the church. So the people of Israel to whom Zechariah was speaking, they were struggling. They had nothing. They were struggling with their inadequacy and their insufficiency. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the manpower required to do God's work. But the Lord reminds them and reminds us that His work, the building of His temple, does not depend on these things, but is always done by His sovereign Spirit. Brothers and sisters, how much more should we, in our work for the Lord, in our mission to build His temple, rely on the sovereign Spirit of God? You know, maybe you've heard the story of uh, the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, one of my spiritual heroes, uh, who preached the gospel to tens of thousands of people in 19th century England. And God was greatly used of God as God saved many through his preaching. Maybe you haven't heard that Spurgeon 
suffered and struggled his whole life with gout and with diseased kidneys and also with severe chronic depression. Oftentimes when he would be getting ready to preach, he would uh, even vomit before going up to preach. And each time as he ascended the stairs to come to the pulpit and preach God's word, Spurgeon would often pray with each step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. ECC, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? He's not just reserved, you know, only for the Pentecostal churches, you know. The Spirit of God is at work in every church where Christ and the gospel is proclaimed. This is the same Spirit of God who was there in the beginning in Genesis 1 when it was darkness and there was nothing. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light And there was light and God kept speaking and the Spirit of God brings into being the entire universe. This is the same Spirit of God who was with Israel at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them and they're trembling and the Spirit of God moves and the waters parted. This is the same Spirit of God who filled Mary's womb and who emptied Jesus' tomb and he came down in fire on Pentecost and inaugurated the church And this is the same Spirit of God who was there when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, lost in darkness, and someone shared the gospel with you, and the lights came on, and the Spirit of God brought you from death to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Spirit who empowers our mission. The Lord Jesus Christ is head of the church. He has poured out His Spirit upon us to do His work. He empowers His church through His Spirit, graciously giving us gifts, every single one of us, for the mission of the church. And and Jesus pours out his spirit without discrimination on all his people. There's not just one special guy who has the spirit. Alright? There is not just one anointed man of God or, oh, the senior pastor, he is anointed with the spirit. No, Christ has anointed all of his people. He empowers us as a church to build his temple, to fight our sin, and to live and proclaim the gospel. So maybe you hear that and you say, oh, Pastor Aubrey, you're talking about vision and mission and and the advance of the church and all of these things. Are you even in touch with reality? Look at our situation. We're facing a 25% budget cut. Many people are losing jobs. Finances are tight. By my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, Pastor, we're in the middle of a pandemic COVID-19 looks like it's never going to come to an end. It's going on and on. We can't even meet normally. Everything is done through Zoom and I hate Zoom. By my spirit, says the Lord. Maybe you're here, brother or sister, and this morning, do you feel weak? Do you feel weary or weighed down, heavy-hearted? By my spirit, says the Lord. How can we be used of God? We're just struggling to live from day to day. Every day seems so hard. By My spirit says the Lord. Look at verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Beloved, the sovereign spirit has flattened every mountain 
that stands in the way of God's mission. He goes ahead of us, blazing away to follow as he builds the temple. What is the mountain that is hindering the building of God's temple in and through us, ECC? It will be flattened. It will be crushed by my spirit, says the Lord. So what are the other fears that we have? What about our flaws and our sin? Will our inadequacy, our weaknesses, hinder the building of God's temple? Let me assure you, dear friends, that they will not. Because as we engage in God's temple building mission, not only do we have the sovereign spirit of God, but secondly, we trust in the sufficient leader. We rely on the sovereign spirit, and second, we build with hope and confidence by trusting in our sufficient leader. Look at verses 8 to 10. And now the second speaker of the Dolby surround sound is getting turned on. Okay, so now we are in full stereo mode, right? Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the whole earth. So verse 9 there, God has promised that the hands of Zerubbabel that laid the foundation of the house, the temple, would bring it to completion, would finish off the work. Throughout the passage, we see that image. Zerubbabel will bring out the top stone. That's the finishing of the work. He will bring out the plumb line. It means the work is complete. And like I said, Zerubbabel was the leader of God's people, the rightful leader of God's people at that time. And so you see that and you think maybe, you know, maybe you think, yeah, so we need strong leadership. Just like Israel had Zerubbabel to lead them, we too, in the church, we need a senior pastor who will lead the vision of the church. Right? Wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. Dear friends, I am not Zerubbabel. And if you call me to be your senior pastor, I am not the one who leads the vision of the church. My hands, my weak hands, did not lay the foundation of this church, and my hands certainly will not finish off the work. As Jeremy used to say, I am not the Christ. You see, Zerubbabel is written in this story. Zerubbabel is a part of God's plan, all to point to someone greater. He's a picture and a preview of a greater governor, a greater temple builder, a greater king to come. And if you read uh, in the New Testament, the Matthew chapter 1, which opens with the genealogy, you'll find the genealogy of that greater king. You see, Zerubbabel was from the line of David. If, if there was, Israel is under foreign rule at this time, but if there was to be a king of Israel, Zerubbabel would have been the rightful king. And then from Zerubbabel's line comes one who is far greater than him. Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the greater Zerubbabel. He is the greater temple builder. He is the greater king who will build a temple which will never fail nor never fall. Zerubbabel points us to him. He is the one who leads the mission of the church. And what was the purpose of a temple? Well, the purpose of a temple was for a holy God 
to dwell among a sinful people. The temple was where they offered blood sacrifices for sin so that people could approach God and God would dwell with them. Just like the song we were singing, does our God intend to dwell again with us? Brothers and sisters, he does. Throughout the book of Zechariah, we see this theme and this promise that God will purify his people and return to dwell again with them. And our Lord Jesus Christ has inaugurated the fulfillment of these promises. He will bring these promises to complete fulfillment. His hands will finish off the work. You know, we live in what is like a day of small things. We face setbacks. We face struggles. It often feels like we're stuck. But Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The day of small things is a day of big promises. The Lord Jesus Christ, our greater temple builder, he laid the foundation of our temple by giving himself as a sacrifice, taking the judgment of God for sinners upon himself, pouring out his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. His hands laid the foundation of the temple when they were nailed to a cross so that you and I could be made right with God. His same hands are at work in the church right now growing us and and making us glorify God. And one day those same hands will finish off the work when he welcomes us into his heavenly kingdom saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. We can be certain of this, that he will finish the mission. You know, the great uh, missionary to India, William Carey, uh, who went to my home country as a missionary, he faced numerous setbacks numerous trials along the way. And in all his suffering, Carrie was confident. Here's what he says. He says, God's cause will triumph. The work to which God has set his hands will infallibly prosper. The work to which God is calling us is not one in which we work with uncertainty. We are not afraid of the result. God will give us the victory. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, maybe you claim to know him, but he's not your Lord or Savior. And you've put your hope and confidence not in Christ, but your confidence is in yourself and your hope is in deceitful things. In that case, I, I want to warn you. I want to warn you and call you to come to Jesus. Verse 10 here in the passage says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth. This is a reference to God's absolute control over all things. His eyes see all things. He knows all things. He watches over all the earth and he will ensure that this world exists for his purposes. Dear non-Christian friend, I want you to know one day the Lord Jesus Christ will finish off his work not only in salvation, in saving his people, but also in judgment. He will gather his people to himself and his temple will fill the earth and his people will dwell with him in glory. But he will bring punishment upon those who have rebelled against his rule. If you have not trusted in Christ, you will face God's judgment for your sin. But today, now is the time of mercy. Today is the day of salvation. And Jesus is still calling people to come to himself, to join 
his mission. And so I want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I want to call you and appeal to you to hear the voice of the son of God calling to you from the scriptures. Turn away from your sins and come and cast yourself upon him in faith. Don't put your hope in empty things. Find hope in this savior who will fulfill his promises. Brothers and sisters, this may seem like a day of small things, but Jesus will bring his mission to fulfillment. He will finish off his work. His promises are certain. And I want to say to you, ECC, I don't have all the answers. One thing that I am absolutely confident of, if you call me to be senior pastor, is that I will fall short of your expectations. I am a flawed man. I am a sinful man, and I am an insufficient man. You might call me to be senior pastor, but I will always remain an under-shepherd, under the real senior pastor, the great chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. He will build this church. And one thing I can commit to you is that I commit to pointing you to him to the one who is absolutely sufficient and perfect in every way, who will not fail. You know, the Apostle Paul says this, and I love in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants, as your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's what I can commit to. So we are waiting in this day of small things, a day of big promises. We're waiting with hope and confidence. What do we do? How do we engage in this temple building mission? What do we do to ensure the mission of the church advances? First, we rely on God's sovereign spirit. Second, we trust in our sufficient leader, our savior, Jesus Christ. And third, we engage in mission with hope and confidence by proclaiming God's invincible word. We must proclaim God's invincible word. So finally, the overhead speakers of Dolby Surround Sound now are getting activated. Left speaker, right speaker, and our overhead speakers, we're getting a full-blown understanding of what Zachariah's vision is saying. Look at verses 11 to 14. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So the prophet Zechariah is just like you and me, puzzled about the olive trees that are pouring oil into the lampstand to keep it lit. What are these olive trees, he asks. And the angel replies, and he says, these are the anointed ones. Don't you know what these are? These are the anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. In Hebrew, literally, it means these are the sons of oil. What kind of an answer is that, dear angel? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> right? Well, one interpretation argues that these anointed ones are a reference again to Zerubbabel and to another figure, uh, Joshua, who was the high priest of Israel at that time. I'm not convinced of that interpretation. I think that these anointed ones, or sons of oil, represent God's prophets, the men who spoke God's word to God's people. How do I know that? How, how do we uh, come to that conclusion? Well, first, you see the phrase here, those who stand before the Lord of the whole earth. 
this uh, phrase in verse 14 is commonly used in the Old Testament to refer to prophets, those who hold the prophetic office, holy men who speak as God's representatives. Second, if we look at the historical context, it confirms this because if we look at Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, uh, Ezra tells us, the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel. So what Ezra is telling us is that the people finally prospered and built the temple. Right? They finished the work. How did they do this? Through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. That's what kept the mission going. That's what kept the lampstand ablaze. Right? The word of God through God's prophets keeps the mission going. So again, I want to clarify to you, lest your mind is already thinking certain things, I am not a prophet. Not anywhere near a prophet. In fact, we don't have prophets like Haggai and Zechariah today who speak God's word authoritatively and infallibly. If anyone comes and tells you that, you know, he's a prophet like that, be careful of that guy, okay? But brothers and sisters, we have something even greater. You see, Hebrews tells us God spoke through the prophets at many times and in many ways, partially. But now God has spoken to us fully and finally. He has spoken to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has given us His completed revelation, His complete prophetic word, right here in this book. This book, this word, this is how we engage in God's mission. By loving and hearing and reading and proclaiming this word. Brothers and sisters, this word is invincible. It is unshakable. It will fulfill God's purposes. I mean, think of the book of Acts, when the church was facing trials and persecution and setbacks on every side. But Luke tells us again and again, the word of God was not hindered. The word of God kept increasing and multiplying. Think about the Protestant Reformation when people were living in darkness for years with no access to the scriptures. And then a man named Martin Luther opened his Bible. And Luther says, I ate and I drank and I went to bed. The word of God did it all. And revival spread like wildfire across Europe and people turned from darkness to light and came to know the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this word always works. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have confidence in this word? When you come here each week to hear the word of God preached, do you come here ready for God to speak to you through preaching and to equip you and empower you to live on mission for him? Does this word dwell richly in your heart so that we speak God's word to one another and teach and admonish one another with wisdom from God's word? We must treasure this word Trust this word, speak this word, and live this word. Proclaim this word. If you call me to be your senior pastor, this is my commitment. By God's grace, I will seek to faithfully preach God's word to you. I will seek by his grace to preach with boldness and with confidence, not in myself, but trusting that I can open this book and preach what it says and that God will open the eyes of our hearts to see the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, raised, exalted on high from all of Scripture. This word will keep our church ablaze. And that's one of my convictions, that pastoral ministry fundamentally is a ministry of proclamation. 
That's my commitment to you. So Zerubbabel and the people, they built their temple. They finished, as we saw in, in Ezra. But ultimately, that temple failed and was destroyed. Because a greater temple and a greater temple builder had to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Zerubbabel, in whom we are now God's temple. And much later, there was another man in the Bible who saw lampstands. It's the Apostle John in the, in the book of Revelation. And God also showed the Apostle John a picture of the completed work, a picture of our completed temple. Brothers and sisters, if God permit me, it will be my privilege and my joy to continue laboring with your elders, all of us as fellow under-shepherds, laboring under the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, to prepare all of us for that great day when we'll be part of that final temple. And I want to close by showing you that picture. John says in Revelation 7, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that we do not labor or live in uncertainty. But we are blessed with your sovereign spirit, our sufficient leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that by your grace, you would empower us to live and proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen.